Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Except no sandwiches. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Akdung Millwall, another one of our fixtures from the past. Now, as you may have appreciated, this is a project I've set myself for the new season, namely to try to find um, an equivalent fixture from the past as the one that's looming on the uh, the Mill horizon. So Saturday, of course, we have a huge game at home versus Bristol City. So my uh, the creative rule I set myself for these projects is to try and find an equivalently timed uh, home fixture from the past uh, as a kind of a preview, going back to um, you know 1921, the formation of the third division South Mills entry into the football league. So that's the that's the task I set myself. Generally speaking, you hope that um, you're going to turn up a fixture of some um, you know with some talking points of some sort. Uh, the fixture I've found, the nearest fixture to uh, an August um, home game against Bristol City, which we haven't had any, um, strangely, over the uh, 102 years of, of Mills Football League career now. But the nearest to August that I found was a September fixture, early September the 3rd, 1952, a Mill versus Bristol City home game at uh, Colblow Lane. It would finish one each, and this would have been a 6.15 kickoff, dear listeners. No floodlights back then. I've, in the course of my um, research, um, I never considered when the floodlights were fitted at Coldblow Lane, but I can tell you it was ahead of the 1953-54 season. So um, in the pre-floodlight era, um, obviously midweek games were controlled by the amount of daylight available to us. So this would have been a 6.15 Kickoff. The internet is a wonderful thing, incidentally. I found out that sunset on September the 3rd, 1952, would have been at 7.42pm. So enough time to get an hour and a half's worth of football just, without any of the um, excessive amounts of um, you know added time that we get nowadays in, in modern day football. So yeah, um, one all, one all fixture. We had played Bristol City in the style of the old football league. They used to have a, a system where you'd played the away game and then the home game the following week. So you kind of did the two fixtures together, so to speak. I don't know why they did it that way. It was the custom. We'd played Bristol City at Ashton Gate 
um, the week before. That had finished as a nil-nil fixture. So not huge amounts to talk about. The um, press reportage for this one-all draw is minimal, I'll have to be honest with you. The third division South midweek fixture didn't seem to draw much in the way of press interest. I found one paragraph, literally one paragraph from the News Chronicle, newspaper of the time, dated the 4th of September, 1952. And it's a sub-paragraph, so um, this is really only in passing that uh, we've got any reportage whatsoever of the game. But the uh, the sub-heading is Millwall Wait. The Millwall crowd had to wait a long time for goals, 65 minutes to be exact. Then centre-forward Neary, Frank Neary, we're going to come back to him, uh, scored. And a few minutes later, At Atio equalised for Bristol City. Um, so that was that's it. Uh, that's that's the um, reportage for from the the gentleman of the press uh, for the game. A big crowd, listeners. Third division South fixture early on in the season. Eighteen thousand four hundred and fifty three at Coldblow Lane for this one all draw. Um, I suppose a lot of blokes have gone along after work. I'm guessing. Team for the for the fixture. Um, I'll read the team names out. Some famous names here. You may have heard some of these names on previous shows that I've done of this kind. Um, if not, then um, part of the reason for doing these shows is just to, you know, uh, give a bit of coverage to names from the past. Anyway, in goal, Malcolm Finlayson. We will come back to Malcolm Finlayson and, incidentally, the uh, goalkeeper of the previous season who he had replaced after serving his national service. Malcolm Finlayson replaced Ted Hinton. We'll come back to Ted Hinton. So uh, that's that's one of the more um, interesting stories that have generated out of the research for this particular uh, fixture, one all. Uh, Alex Jardine, George Fisher, Johnny Short, Gerald Bowler, Frank Reeves, John Johnson, George Stobart, Frank Neary, we've mentioned already, the goal scorer, um, Alf Morgan and Ronnie Mansfield. A few interesting points about the um, 1950. 253 season, which this was an early season fixture within, actually was a decent season for us. We'd finish in the end um, in second position in the third division south. Um, unlike modern days, however, only the champions side were promoted to the second division. It's one of those um, aspects of Mill history that haunts us. We, we would come very, very close many, many times, uh, or a number of times anyway, to getting promotion from the third division south, but because only the champion club actually won um, promotion to the top, to the second division. And there, from there, obviously, the chance to springboard into the top flight. We would, re, you know, reside in the third tier for many, many years. And this would be one such occasion where after the, the damage and the, you know, the economic decline of the, in the aftermath of the Second World War, um, we really could have done with some, some good times and some promotion. But we would come second uh, this season. Bristol Rovers would be champions at the end of the 46-game program we'd miss out by two points they got 64 points two wins uh, points for a win back then of course listeners uh, 64 points to Bristol Mill second with 62 um, top scorers for the season uh, back then 1952-53 just leaping around my notes that I've got here listeners bear with me um, yeah top scorer for the season was Johnny Shepherd um, interesting name Johnny Shepherd there is actually a biography written by his daughter, um, called In and Out of the Lion's Den. Quite an interesting read, apparently. I've not read it, and I'm going by reviews. But uh, Johnny Shepherd scored 21 goals in this particular season, closely pursued 
by another striker, one that I don't know too much about. Maybe I'll come back to Alan Monkhouse. 38 appearances, 1952-3, 17 goals. Uh, Johnny Shepard got 21 goals from 22 appearances. How about that, listeners? 22 starts, 21 goals. Um, in third position in the scoring chance was George Stobart, who actually took the field in this particular fixture what we've mentioned. So I'm going to try and keep it to players that are in this particular team. So I'm not going to leap around too much, I hope, although that's in the nature of these shows that you do leap around quite a bit, listeners. But I'm going to come back to the goal scorer, 65th minute Frank Neary. There's a fantastic, utterly fantastic photo of Frank Neary. Harold Francis Neary is his full name. And it's in the Mill Who's Who, Neil Fissler's book, the details of every Mill player, which is invaluable. I couldn't do this show without that book. Um, but Frank Neary was a forward played for us between 1950 and 54. 142 games, 59 goals, very decent scoring record. Frank was born in Aldershot, 1921. He died in a uh, care home in North Cheam in 2003. Quite a wide-ranging career, Frank Neary. He'd played for, um, amongst others, QPR, West Ham, Leighton Orient, QPR again, Millwall, and then into the the uh, Kent uh, League, sitting Bourne, Gravesend, Dartford, Hastings, um, and then to eventually manage Windsor and Eton. Um, just read you a little biog here. Frank roamed around London in the immediate post-war years with impressive results, as as um, we've uh, noted already. He'd been West Ham's leading scorer in 1947, then on to Leighton in 48 and 49 where he reunited with current manager for this fixture, Charlie Hewitt, famous name in New Cross history. Charlie signed him for Mill for £6,000. How about that? There's a fee for you, listeners. On the day that Harry Kane supposed to be moving to Bayern Munich for a gazillion quid, we signed Frank Neary for £6,000. A debut goal against Exeter started to repay the debt, and he formed a formidable partnership with Jimmy Constantine. Frank was a crowd favourite. He topped the line scoring charts in 1952, which um, be the season before this one that we're looking at. Um, after football, he went into non-league coaching. We've mentioned management, again, in non-league, whilst working in the print for Sunday Times until he retired. His son, Dennis, was also a centre-forward and he played non-league football. And a brilliant photo. The reason I mention the photo is he's got a fag hanging out of his mouth. It looks like a dressing room. <laughs> he's doing his laces up it won one of the post-war games from Millwall we've got a very very I think floodlit friendly shiny um, kit we had a blue shiny kit I think it was to stand out on the floodlights which would have been quite dim back in those times I would imagine and anyway he's in the dressing room he's got a fag stuck in his mouth <laughs> that's football of that era for you um, two interesting facts in addition to the biog in Neil's book that I've, I've dug out of uh, various sources, Wikipedia, and um, and on on the, uh, the British News Online, the uh, newspaper site that I, I subscribe to. Um, apparently, allegedly, Frank Neary was blessed with a very very powerful shot. And allegedly, I don't know the truth of some of these things are lost in the myths of time. But he once knocked out, literally knocked out the tall key goalkeeper playing for West Ham with the power of a close-range shot. Must have hit him in straight in the face. This was playing for West Ham at Torquay. Knocked the goalkeeper out. Um, and the Lewisham News in 1954, so two years on from 
this particular fixture. The Lewisham News, um, local newspaper obviously, reports that the Exeter goalkeeper was carried physically carried into the net by the force of a close-range shot from Frank. A six-yard box shot so powerful that it carried the Exeter goalkeeper across the line. I don't know about that. What do you think, listeners? Is that plausible? Um, this is one of these um, stories that you, you almost want to be true. You want it to be true. So uh, Frank Neary, wonderful old-school character. The draw against Bristol um, actually put us top of the table. And Just looking at the league table by the side of the News Chronicles, a uh, short paragraph to say the least, and there we are sitting top of the table, just four games into the season, um, six points at the time, just in front of Coventry, Warsaw on the bottom at the time. Now, as we say, 18,000 at the Den. It was an interesting period at, uh, in Mill uh, history because we were in recovery from the effects of the Second World War. A couple of interesting bits and pieces that reflect the, uh, the, 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 the times, I suppose. Uh, building was restricted at that point in the, uh, as with rationing, food rationing still existed. And items like uh, building materials were also rationed of sorts, so you had to get a licence from your local politicians. And there's a report in one of the papers of Charlie Hewitt, was never short in coming forwards with his opinions, listeners. But Charlie lambasted local politicians as a generality. I think this would be local and national, I think, by um, Charlie's um, you know, vitriol was directed against politicians in general. Um, because we were restricted on the inst- reinstallation of seats. The, um, during the wartime, the main stand, the, anyone that went to the Coldblow Lane will remember the seats, as we would have called them. There was a bigger stand there prior to the start of the Second War. It burned down, um, strangely not through enemy action. I think it was a cast-aside cigarette and rubbish underneath the main stand. But anyway, by hook or by crook, Adolf Hitler's hook or Goebbels' uh, crook, um, somehow uh, might have been Goering's fag or something. <laughs> anyway, that had set fire to a load of rubbish underneath the main stand. It burned down, huge, huge investment before the war by the club, and a huge body blow that some say meant that the club never quite recovered uh, until certainly until the final promotion in the 1980s from, you know... Um, anyway, we were trying to rebuild the stand and we could not get a licence and we couldn't get, therefore we couldn't get the building materials required and Charlie was um, had the right ump with politicians that were getting in the way of his beloved Mill FC. Um, at the same time, um, we also were using Calmont Road, which was then called the Oxo Ground. So Oxo being the, um, well it still exists, isn't it, Oxo? It's a cooking um, gravy cube. Um, we were using it for the first time ever because we were training away from the den. Previously, we trained at the den, using that as our training ground, as well as, obviously, for match days. And um, damage to the pitch, I suppose, equally, as we've just said, with building materials, perhaps the, the groundsmen weren't able to maintain the, the den in the say, to the same level. I always remember it having a decent pitch there, but um, apparently, for uh, ground reasons, we started training at Cowant Road. Um, there, we, there we are, it's... Um, History goes in full circles, doesn't it, listeners? We're still there, my bicycle later. So as I say, we would finish in second place position for the season, missing out on promotion, and we'd spend, I think, the remainder of the 1950s, largely. I think we finally got promoted out of the third division. Um, it may have been around the early 60s, I think. Division four, because it was the two 
Division 3 in the South and North uh, divisions were combined into Division 4 towards the end of the 50s. So um, we would remain in the bottom, the bottom tier of football for some years yet to come. Now, I've already mentioned Malcolm Finlayson, who was the goalkeeper for the Lions in this particular fixture. A very, very well-known uh, goalkeeper, actually. He would actually leave us uh, as a prospect Came from the Millwall ranks in the uh, late 1940s. Goalkeeper for Millwall, 1947-56. 251 games. Uh, there's a great picture of him wearing a like a polo neck jumper with a Millwall badge sewn onto it here. Um, he'd come through the Millwall ranks. He was born in uh, Scotland, Alexandria. I believe that's in Scotland, 1930. Died in Dudley. He'd played for a number of Scottish clubs, Vale of Leven, Third Lanark, Renfrew Juniors, and then signed for Millwall in 1948. He would actually achieve bigger success when he came to leave us. Signed for Wolves in the 50s and Wolves at that point were a major, major club. And he would win a league championship with Wolves and an FA Cup winner's medal as well. Um, just to read you the biog of Malcolm Finlayson, um, a teenage prodigy, this is Neil's book, is described as, who after playing in a trial match against Charlton was fast-tracked into the Millwall first team to make his debut 16 days later. Bravery and fearlessness. Um, Wolves acquired him as the natural successor to their great English goalkeeper, Bert Williams, another famous name from that era. So he replaced the England goalkeeper in the Wolves goal. Uh, Malcolm Finlayson will gain two, two league championship titles with Wolves and an FA Cup winner's medal in 1960. Uh, it is not only a mystery but a travesty, however, says the book, that he never earned a full Scottish cap. Um, I think back then the Scottish FA, which has always been an odd bod body, you know, I don't know if any listening Scots would agree with me here, they have never been particularly um, forward-thinking in their approaches, but I think they had had it in for what they called Anglo-based Scots, any Scottish uh, players playing for English sides, they, they held a bit of a, a grudge against them. Um, to their detriment, of course, because you're missing out on, on a, a great talent here. But and that was a widespread thing. I think as late as the seventies, and I don't know about the eighties. I think they got a bit real with the uh, decline of the Scottish national side. But back then, Anglo Scots playing for English clubs, as they would have been seen, were, were you know they were held um, in lower esteem than Scottish guys playing in Scotland. Um, after finishing with football. Malcolm Finlayson went into business and became a successful st steel stockholder in the West Midlands. So, yeah, big name, Malcolm Finlayson. Um, he'd actually joined us prior to going into the, uh, the, 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 the forces, the National Service. I don't know if he was in the Army or which with the RAF or, or Navy, but anyway, he did his National Service. And whilst he was away, so to speak, he was replaced by another great goalkeeper, uh, Ted Hinton, Edward George Anthony Hinton. Um, an interesting character, Ted Hinton. He played 102 games for us. So this is the, the goalkeeper for the previous season. Um, I'm leaping around with the, the scant information on the, the main fixture. I thought I'd go off on a bit of a, you know, a tangent here, listeners. I hope you forgive me. But it's an interesting story. Ted Hinton played uh, from 1949 to 1952. He'd actually just been replaced by Finlayson, who'd come out back from national service. Um, he was born in 22, died in 1988. Northern Irishman, Ted Hinton. Um, he'd come to us via Craven Cottage, Fulham. Um, he joined as a cover, here it says, for Malcolm Finlayson, who was about to start his national service. Um, he became Mill's second Northern Irish cap, first being Tom Brolly. There's a great sentence here, and I think, it, you know, if there's any lesson that you want to learn from history, listeners, um, it is that there is nothing new 
in this life. It, history is an endless series of circles. Um, so unfortunately for Ted, he allowed the terrorist critics to affect him if his displays hadn't met with their approval. <laughs> um, disagreement with management, Millwall management, led him to return to Northern Ireland, where he worked for Short Brothers and Harland, great shipbuilding names there, and played cricket for the, the works. So he actually left, he left football entirely. That's weird, isn't it? But playing Northern Irish football, Ballymena, Bangor, and Ballymena again. Um, now, my eye fell upon the um, two things, really. One is there's a short um, biography on, on, off of Wikipedia which tells a wonderful colour story, I suppose, that Ted Hinton, towards his late um, period, he was playing regularly for, uh, I think it was called Ireland, I mean, it was actually termed Northern Ireland, it was one of the two Irish sides, don't want to get into that on this show. But anyway, Ted um, had, had taken to storing his false teeth on the back of a net for safekeeping. <laughs> Oh dear, he he, so he had his false teeth, which he took out during the game, presumably for safety's sake, I guess, as many players used to, and stored them on his net. Now, I don't know whether that means he's put the full set of choppers, hung them over the net in some way, because I can't see how else you could hang just like a single tooth, or maybe a bridge or something. I don't know. I, I feel like I need to know a lot more about Ted Hinton, the goalkeeper for the season before, and his habit of storing his false teeth on the net. How would it be done, listeners? I'm open to, to, to speculation on how you might hang false teeth on the back of a football net. Um, the only way I can think of is if you've got a full set, chopper-wise, you know, top and bottom, and you can hook it over the net. But um, I don't know. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a fact that I had never really considered before. But Ted Hinton's got uh, two, four, six, eight, nine... Uh, yeah, nine, nine Northern Irish caps. He won twice, drew three, lost twice. Uh, the other interesting thing that my eye fell upon, as you will always appreciate me, I always try and find the, the angles, um, a little bit of press coverage of as to why Ted Hinton left Millwall. Now, we've already referred in passing to him falling out with management. Now, that's, that's, that covers a, a multitude of sins in my experience of life. I don't know about your life, listener. My experience in life, that, that phrases like that cover a lot. And I found a, an interesting um, article as to why Hinton is not with Millwall. Now, I think this is from a Lewisham paper, South London Observer. South London Observer, it no longer exists. And this is dated um, 19, let me get it for you, 1953, I think it is. Uh, yeah, 1953, August. So anyway, why... Hinton is not with Millwall. Uh, the article's only a few paragraphs, I'll read it. Ted Hinton, last season's goalkeeper, has not re-signed for Millwall, even though he has been retained by the club. In the Millwall programme on Saturday, so this will be a couple of games before the one that we're considering today, the club's side of the affair was given. He apparently has no, gr no grievance with the club. His action is due entirely to alleged unhappy relationships with other tenants of one of the club's properties. So the pro these have been digs, club digs, mill-owned, and Ted fed out with his neighbours, basically. Um, it says in May he removed his furniture from the flat and handed in the keys of the premises. It was made clear to him by Millwall that the club could not and would not provide him with alternative accommodation. Um... I read this in a very pompous voice. This is from the, uh, this is Charlie Hewitt would be writing this in the club programme. 
It says the financial position of the club is such that further properties cannot be purchased. The flat was good enough for any family. The rent was below normal. We have never interfered in the domestic affairs of any of our playing staff and we do not propose doing so now or at any time in the future. It continues, almost certainly Charlie Hewitt's written this. If Ted Hinton or any other player cannot live in peace with their neighbours, then it's his or their misfortune. All we ask, Millwall ask, is efficiency on the field of play and good behaviour away from our headquarters. We can truthfully state that we have had both from Ted Hinton. However, he was instructed to report for training at the Den on the 22nd of July, 52. And as he did not do so, he was suspended for two weeks. This gets really pompous now. Uh, this is really real hardcore Charlie Hewitt. If Ted can afford to throw away £14 a week, £14 a week, listen, that's plus bonus, three years accrued share of his benefits, £100 per annum free of tax from the non-contributory providence scheme, free luncheons daily and other social proclivities. What are they? Social Have you got any social proclivities, listeners? It says, then he must be rated a very fortunate man, very pompous. <laughs> He's a very fortunate man. We very much regret his attitude. He will remain on our retained list until such time as the directors of the club resolve otherwise. Anyway, Ted was his own man, it seems, and slung it all in and went back to Northern Ireland. He couldn't get on with his neighbours, and almost certainly, if he's dealing with that kind of approach from the Mill Football Club, you would probably feel like... Um, You've been usurped, Malcolm Finlayson was back, and um, Charlie Hewitt weren't going to deal with your neighbour problem. Um, who knows? I want to know more about the neighbour problem. I used to, in my um, working life, I used to deal with housing, neighbour problems, regular, regular issue. No, you could never solve them. That's all I'll say to your listeners. You never, ever solved a neighbour problem other than moving away. So in the end, Ted Hinton probably did the right thing for his own well-being. But that is why Ted Hinton is not with Millwall. That was the nature of the... Uh, differences with management, and that's why Malcolm Finlayson took the field in this one-all draw, home draw with Bristol City, in the ultimately unsuccessful season of 1952-3, in front of 18,453, September the 3rd, 1952. I hope you've enjoyed this little show. When I first saw the fixture, I thought to myself, this is this is stony ground. My my, uh, I've cast my seed upon stony ground, listeners, but uh, the more I went into it, Maybe a little lesson for the future, Nick. The more you go into these things, the more stories you turn up. There we are. That's uh, that's the Mill versus Bristol, 1952, by way of um, an appetiser for uh, Saturday's huge game at home. I hope you've enjoyed it, listeners. Until the next edition, we'll do another one ahead of the... Uh, the what's the next one after? It'll be uh, Norwich away next week. I'll try and get another one together for Norwich. Until then, I hope you've enjoyed this little show. Be back at the weekend with the with the real deal. Arriva Dirty Millwall. Bye for now. Achtung, Millwall. A bit of a postscript for you, dear listeners. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com um, Courtesy of Neil, actually, who sent me a slightly fuller match report from a journalist. I think it was actually at the game. I was working in this show from a report for in the in the News Chronicle and I think look reading this particular piece that Neil sent me, uh the News Chronicle report was based purely on the scoreline, you know, uh, names of goal scorers and minutes. Um and I'm not sure which paper this is that Neil sent me, but it certainly gives a bit more colour to the one all draw that we've mentioned in this show between Mill and Bristol City in September nineteen fifty two. Um, I'll read direct from the piece actually because it's quite, it's quite, it's a typical mill situation. The other one mentioned nothing, so I apologise for not including this incident in the original show. Um, it says, however, an ugly incident marred the one-all draw between Millwall and Bristol City. Ernie Peacock, Bristol player, who had played a storming game at right half for Bristol, was guilty of a bad foul on Fisher, George Fisher, Millwall and for which he quite, quite rightly had had his name taken by referee Bucknell. At this point, a spectator rushed onto the field and attempted to strike Peacock, but was quickly hauled off the ground. There was then uproar in the crowd following this incident, until at, at last the police came up and quelled the trouble. A hotly disputed goal put Millwall in front 19 minutes after the interval. Stan Morgan took a very hurried free kick, and Bomineri, that's a, I didn't know he had that, that nickname, Frank Neary, Bomineri, good good nickname, that would come back later in, in Mill history, of course, with Neil Harris. Uh, Bomineri went away on his own to ram a snorter. What a great word, I'm going to use snorter more often in my reported li- listeners. He rammed a snorter past Bristol's Morgan into the net. Atio, um, apparently an England player, Neil tells me, uh, headed, the Bristol, headed the Bristol City equaliser. So we have a, a chinning, as Neil rightly points out to me, not mentioned at all by the News Chronicle. I think that was purely worked from the uh, the press feed. Um, but yeah, um, bad foul. Booking, crowd don't like it. Spectator tries to run on and chin the aforesaid Ernie Peacock. And it took the cops to come into the crowd and um, call tempers generally down at Cold Blow Lane, a very, very, very Millwall story there. Unreported by the News Chronicle. I wish I could credit which paper this is. Neil sent me. I haven't got the name uh, section at the top of the page. But there we are. I missed out on a chinning in the original show. So apologies for that, dear listeners. I can only work from the uh, material that I can find on the British newspaper archive. I think Neil's got access to... I, I'm not sure if it's a Daily Mail. He's got access to a different um, archive to mine. And this one had a lot more colour, a lot more detail of this wonderful um, 1952 image of fans running on the pitch to try and hit players and being um, dragged away and the police being involved. So huge thank you to Neil Fissler for sending that through to me. And I'm proud to include this little bit of a postscript to correct the record. It was actually a lot more interesting a game 
than the News Chronicle gave me the impression for. Hope you've enjoyed the show anyway, dear listeners, and um, we'll be back very, very soon. Until then, arrivederci, Millwall. Bye for now. <laughs>